We're going to talk about uh, being all in, being all in, all right, and identifying areas in our lives where maybe we're not all in. Um, let me just tell you a quick story before we get started here. Shannon and I, um, my wife Shannon, if you don't know, because um, I wouldn't be hanging out with anybody else named Shannon. Um, so maybe, maybe you don't know me. My, Shannon is my wife. So, um, yeah, no rumors. Um, so uh, our daughter went to girls camp about three weeks ago, and so we, we decided they needed drivers for the girls to get down to camp down in, a, in San Diego area. And so we decided we'd, we'd volunteer to drive, and, and so we loaded. Uh, I, I, I drove to San Diego guys with, it was me and six women in the car. And so... Um, <laughs> I just stayed focused, baby. I just stayed focused. Um, and so we, we dropped the girls off at camp. And so if you're in San Diego and, and I'm with my wife, why not have a day in San Diego with my wife, right? So we, we went over to Seaport Village and we had lunch and we had just a great time just uh, uh, hanging out. And, and um, my wife is a big fan of uh, um, Wylan. Anybody know Wylan the painter? The, okay. And she's a, she's a huge fan, and they have a Wyland Gallery down there. So she said, well, I'd like to go in the Wyland Gallery. And I said, okay, I'll go in the Wyland Gallery. And, uh, and uh, I'm such a good husband. And so we walked into the Wyland Gallery, and, and of course, you know, dolphins and seals and por whatever. You know, we walked around. But we walked around to this one particular area, and there was a, a, a featured artist uh, who did... Uh, he was a master impressionist, and I, when we walked in the area, my whole attitude changed about being there because there was one painting on the wall that just absolutely struck me. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you before. I'm, I'm not a huge art person, um, but, I, but I walked and I just saw this one painting hanging on the wall, and it, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't look anywhere else at that point. I, I kind of looked or I kept coming back to that painting, so I asked the guy about it, you know, and he gave me a price that made me go. <coughs> so I said, well, it's really nice. And uh, so he said, well, uh, you know, we started talking about it a little bit. And, and, uh, and so I started mentioning the things that I noticed about the painting. He said, if you think that's cool, watch this. So he pulls it off the wall, takes us into another room. And I thought, here, here it comes. He's going he's gonna to hard sell me on this thing. And he sets it up on the wall, and he puts it under a different light, and, and it had a different look to it, and then he started to dim the lights. And as he dimmed the lights, different things started to come out of the painting and stand out, and it was uh, one of the most re remarkable things that's happened to me in a long time because I began to be, um, uh, and the guys in my men's group will probably tease me about this later, but I got kind of emotional, overwhelmed, <laughs> about the painting because all of a sudden it, I, it, it began to talk to me, not like physically talk to me, but, <laughs> but, but I could, all of a sudden I started to understand what the artist was trying to say and, and it, I connected with it. It was, it was really quite amazing. And, um, and so uh, we, you know, I, I made sure that he understood, look, I'm not intent on, on, on buying this, so, um, but love it, you know. Uh, and, and what I realized is that when the painter painted it, he had such amazing passion while painting it. He was passionate about the, the message that he was trying to communicate. 
And it got me thinking that um, the creative force behind great art, behind great music, behind great architecture, behind great writing, is all comes down to passion. You have to be passionate to let greatness come through and, and to really connect with certain things. Um, there's good music out there, but then the great music just has passion behind it. Nothing great is ever sustained in life without passion. Would you agree? Passion is what energizes our lives. Passion is what makes the impossible possible. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning, hopefully, right? Uh, you hopefully get up in the morning and go, I'm going to get on with my day. I'm going to go after my day rather than roll out of bed and go, oh, Lord, have mercy, help me, right? Without passion, life becomes boring. It becomes monotonous. It becomes routine. It becomes very, very dull. Passion is necessary. God created us with the emotions to have passion about our lives. He wants us to have a passionate life. He wants us to be passionate about the things that are in our lives. Passion is what caused explorers to come and explore the, the, the great west and, and move west in our country. It's, it's what uh, gives scientists the, 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 the drive to find cures for diseases. You know, it, it's what turns a good athlete into a great athlete. Passion changes what is okay, what is normal, what is average, into what is great. Passion adds that extra oomph, that extra necessary push to put you over the top or to, to cause you to experience the next level in something that you're interested in or something that God's put in your life. Um, one, day, uh, one day, a man walked up to Jesus in the Bible, and, and he said, Lord, what's the most important thing in the Bible? What's the most important commandment in the Bible? And you know what the great commandment is, right? The great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's what Jesus talked about many times. Jesus said, I want you to love God with your entire heart. I want you to love God with your strength. I want you to love God with your mind, with your soul. Nothing else matters above that. Loving God has to be done passionately. Jesus said, I want you to love me passionately. God wants us to love him with a passion Amen. that is, is strong enough to cause us to express ourselves to him Amen. rather than to just give him a couple of minutes. God doesn't want us to love him half-heartedly. He wants us to love him with our whole heart. <laughs> With our whole heart. In fact, uh, paraphrased Mark 11.30 says this in the message. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and your prayer and your intelligence and your energy. Passion, prayer, intelligence, and energy. Those are things that I feel like I need to engage at the next level. I need to step it up a little bit. Where is my passion at in loving God? The, the, the word passion in the Greek means love God with, with heart. Do, do love God with gusto. Love God and be invested, all invested in it. You know, Jesus said he commanded us to love God. Isn't it interesting that we, we don't typically, people don't naturally just love God, right? You have to choose to love God. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to love me. I want you to do something about it, right? Love is what, a verb? Yes, it's a verb. So the love of God is a verb toward us. Our love 
has to be a verb toward God. You do something about that love. You passionately engage love with God. You, you make effort toward Him. The Bible says if I, if I seek God or if I come to God or if I chase God down, I'll find Him. I'll find Him. He'll make sure that I get with Him. He'll make sure that He's there for me. Um, that word also basically uh, says, you know, put some muscle into it, right? Put some effort into it. Get passionate about it. Be enthusiastic about God. You know, I love enthusiastic people about God. You ever meet anybody that's ho-hum about God? Yeah, God. Yeah. But you meet somebody that's enthusiastic about God, they can make sure that you're enthusiastic as well and get you lit up, fired up. The Bible tells us we're to seek God passionately. We're to love God passionately. We're to serve and obey Him passionately. Colossians 3.23 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. One, One translation says, Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it wholeheartedly. What has God called you to do? Are you doing it wholeheartedly? You will find that if you will make a choice to engage what God has called you to do with your whole, your whole heart, all of a sudden it will become a passion for you. It will become something that you live for. It will become something that you get out of bed for and that you run to because it's something that's bigger than us. He says, I want you to do everything passionately when it comes to me, when it comes to loving me, when it comes to serving me. See, the amazing thing in America is that being passionate about God is not um, sometimes real accepted. I mean, you can be passionate about sports, right? In fact, look up, do a Google search about being passionate about things. There's people who are passionate about bird watching, right? (laughs) People that are passionate about Italian food, right? I have that a little bit. People that are passionate about sewing, I'm passionate about crocheting, right? I don't know. Um, but, but what is it that, that we need to be passionate about? Listen, I, my family and I are going to an angel game in about a week. My daughter, I, she'll be 15 and she wanted to go to an angel game for her birthday. <laughs> Touch my heart, man. Um, so, so, we're, so we're going, we're going to a baseball game. Woohoo! And, um, and, and so, but, but we're going to be passionate, right? I mean, man, at the baseball game, I've stood up and booed. I've slapped hands with strangers I didn't know. In fact, one time there was a walk-off home run. I hugged a dude. I didn't even know him. I did. We were like, bro, hug. I, I didn't know him, but we were passionate about the fact that we were at the ball game and they won. But, but it's not not politically correct. It's not okay to be passionate about God in America anymore. And so why is that? Why is it that we can't be passionate about God? We can. You're right, we can. People tell you, well, don't get too emotional about your faith. Talking about that God stuff. Listen, Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal. Zeal, keep your spiritual fervor. Keep the fires going in your life. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. You have to stoke the fire 
in you. You have to go after God. You have to choose to be passionate about God and who He is. You know how you do that? You give time to it. You give effort to it. You give attention to your relationship with God. And the more time, effort, and attention you give to your relationship with God, the more passionate you're going to become about who He is in your life and your relationship with Him. But everything in life tries to conspire against us being passionate. It dissipates our energy. I mean, I believe the greatest attack on the church right now is, you know, we know that the, the Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I believe one of the greatest attacks on the church right now is apathy. Is just attrition. I become disinterested, and then attrition hits me, and all of a sudden I... I I'm just not interested anymore. I'm not interested in being in church. I'm not, I read a study today. I don't know how it could be possible, but it was a, it was a study that said last year, 3,500 people a day left the church. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what they said. I mean, if it's even half that number or a quarter of that number, Lord help us, you know? And so what the devil does is he tries to get us distracted or disinterested or, or wanting something else. And so what it does is it makes us apathetic toward the Word and toward being in church and toward serving and doing something for God. And, what, and then all of a sudden what happens is the pressure of life becomes causes us to step into attrition. What is attrition? Attrition is this wearing down or weakening of resistance, especially as a result of continuous pressure or harassment. Or distraction. People begin to lose their steam. They lose their zip, their enthusiasm for God. It's easier to be out doing other things and being other things than to be in a locked-in, stable, serving, loving God position. Ouch. Sorry, but that's true. It's true. You have to choose to come to church. You have to choose to love God. You have to choose to see it as being something that's important to do. Otherwise, you could be out there with everybody else doing a hundred other things. I guess I'm preaching to the choir this morning, huh? So we're going to look at, just very quickly, seven passion killers. Uh, Seven passion killers that try to come and steal away our passion for God in our lives. Number one. First passion killer, an unstable, or I'm sorry, an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. That means that you're either overworking or underworking, right? And, and listen, in a group this size, it might, may be half and half. If you're overworking or you're doing too much, that means you're trying to fit everything in, and if there's an empty space, something gets tucked in there also, Right? Oh, I got to do, I got to be, I got to run around, I have to do so much. And what happens is, is that we get to the point where we become so busy that our, we, we get compassion fatigue. Anybody ever experienced compassion fatigue? Compa- compassion fatigue is I'm so busy trying to do all of these things that I lose the opportunity to be passionate about any of them. Right? And when you lose your passion then it's easy to lose your compassion, right? When we lose our passion, then we can lose our compassion. There's a rhythm to life that we need to honor, that we need to look for, that says, I'm going to give myself to the things that 
I am passionate about the things that I know that I can fully invest myself in. Too much work causes you to lose your passion. Too little work, too little, listen, too little work will cause you to become bored and you'll lose your passion. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. There's a good scripture for you if you're just trying to do too much. So that, the problem with here is that we're always trying to give out, give out, give out, give out. You start giving out from an empty tank, what happens? What happens when you try to get your car to run on an empty tank? Ka-chunk, 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 done. Right? Sometimes with people, it's the exact opposite. Sometimes we're just not invested in the things that we that we know are important, or we let uh, our passion be sidelined for things that distract us, things that are not beneficial in our lives. Proverbs 11.25 says this, the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You want some refreshing in your life? Look to refresh others, right? Look to be generous. Look to give yourself away. Okay. If you're not doing that, if you're always taking in and never giving out, what's going to happen? You won't be refreshed. You know, you you're like, don't be like the Dead Sea, always taking in and never giving out. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Right? It doesn't have any life going out of it. And so we need to be engaged in not only taking in but giving out. But there's a balance. There's always a balance. So if you can be balanced and be passionate about the things that God has put in your life, has asked you to do, then you're doing the right amount of things, the right amount of ministry, that you're engaged in things where you can be passionate. Don't ever spread yourself so thin that you're not being passionate about the things that you do. And don't ever just quit doing everything because then you become bored. All right? Number two. An unused talent. Maybe you have an unused talent. Maybe an unused talent will cause you to lose your passion for life and your passion for God. 1 Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What do you use your gift for? What do you use your talent for? What do you use the grace of God for that's in your life? To serve others. I want to serve other people, God. I want to do something for someone else. We have to do that. Notice God gives certain talents. He gives certain abilities. He gives personality. He gives giftings. Listen, beautiful guitar playing and singing this morning. Notice I wasn't up here. It's because I don't have that gift in my life. Right? My son played the drums this morning. He's very good at it. Me behind the drums? Not so good. The thing is, is that we have to make a contribution out of our lives into the lives of other people. It's necessary. God has given you talent, and he's given you a passion to go with that talent. And he wants you to use your talents passionately to bless and to serve other people. Um, Studies have shown that 70% of all Americans are in a job that does not use their talents. That's tragic because God did not give you talents and then say, don't use them, just go make money. (coughs) 
sometimes we have to recognize that our talent needs to be used or is being underused. Listen, there's nothing wrong with making money. But money won't give you the fulfillment that you're looking for. A use of the talent that God's given you and being passionate about it will fill that place up that you're looking to have filled. A lot of, um, lot, of, lot of people stuck in jobs that they hate. I'm not telling you to go quit your job. I'm just pointing out the fact that we get stuck in jobs that we hate. Why? Because it doesn't challenge us. It doesn't cause us to use our talents. The reality is that you're never going to find a job that uses 100% of your talent. That's why God made church. So that whatever unused percentage of your talent or gifting that you're not using can be used here or out there. Right? There's a way to use 100% of all that God's given you. You might use 20% at work. You still got 80% you have to use somewhere. Let's see if we can engage it here. Let's see if we can engage it out there. I'm sure Pastor Terry and Terry Lynn don't need any more people out helping them minister, right? We don't need any more help in the food ministry. Greg would probably confirm that. I'm being facetious. Yes, we do. Okay? In our con- convalescent ministry. Those kind of things are not only there to bless those people that are receiving, but they're there to give an opportunity for the people of God to use their talents, use their gifts, use their back and their strength to bless other people. All right, I know I'm getting at you this morning. I meant to. Um, Number three, repeated sin. Repeated sin will, will pull your passion away from you in your life. Few things rob us of joy, rob us of confidence, and rob us of passion more than feeling guilty. Here's how guilt works in our lives with sin. We don't typically walk around going, oh, I got sin in my life, I got sin in my life. No, the, the, the devil helps us justify that. Oh, yeah, it's okay, but you know, everybody's doing it, right? It's all right. But what happens is subconsciously we recognize the fact that there's an area in our lives that we haven't let God into yet. And so we get in a situation where God wants us to be passionate and immediately the devil comes and goes, you can't do that. You know what you just did. The problem is, people, is that it is impossible to be passionate and guilty all at the same time. It's it's impossible to be passionate and feel condemned at the same time. What do you think the devil wants for you? Wants you to feel condemned. Wants you to feel guilty. Wants you to feel wrong. Wants you to feel inadequate about the things in your lives, in our lives, in my life, that seem to hold me back. The fact of the matter is, is that God wants us to be passionate. And let me give you an example or show you why he wants us to be passionate. In fact, well, let, let me read this scripture first. Psalm 38, verses 4 and 6. David said, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Verse, verse 6 says, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. Because of his sin. Because of the guilt. And it's like, we're not, God didn't make us to live in guilt. In fact, God doesn't add guilt to our lives. God gives us freedom. God causes us to walk in liberty. He frees us from the debt of sin. He frees us from the weight of guilt and condemnation in our lives. Jesus 
He sent Jesus to the earth to die on a cross to offer us a gift. Yes, salvation. Yes, freedom from healing. Yes, healing. Yes, all those things. But you know what? Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from condemnation. That's what, we, that's what the, the, the cross offers us. Amen. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 show us, so, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We've been freed from the power of sin that leads to death. Should we go around walking in guilt any longer? No. There's no condemnation. I've been freed from the power of sin that leads to death. So what do I do now? Be passionate about what God just did for you with those Scriptures. Be passionate about what He's called you to do, who He's called you to be. That's His promise. In fact, if, and Pastor dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, 1 John 1, 9 says this, if you're struggling with sin in your life, things are holding you back, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the cleansing is not because we're trying to convince God to let us off the hook. He's already cleansed us. He's already freed us. Why do we confess our sins? So the power of sin no longer has opportunity to hold me back from being passionate about the things that God has called me to do. I don't want to walk around in condemnation. I want to walk around in freedom. I want to engage the things God's called me to do. Why do I confess sin? So that it no longer has power over me to, to dictate to me how I'm going to live. I guess I'm a little excited. Sorry. All right. Number four. I don't mean it. I'm not apologizing for real. Um, number four, unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict will steal your passion for the things of God, for a relationship with God. Conflict drains the passion right out of you. Hey, listen, have you ever got up in the morning, sprung up out of bed? Woohoo! It's going to be a great day. Anybody wake up like that? My wife accuses me of waking up like that. She is not a morning person. And so get up, right? You're ready to go. You're excited about the day. You've got your things together. And all of a sudden, a disagreement with your spouse happens. No, that doesn't ever happen, does it? Come on. Come on. So all of a sudden, there's a disagreement in your house. What does it do to you? Right? Does it, it pulls the passion away from your day, doesn't it? Pulls the passion away from who, what you were expecting of the day. The devil loves it when you fight with your wife, husbands, so stop it. Okay. All right. So how do you keep your passion? When you're in the middle of a conflict, whether it's with your spouse or someone else, how do you keep your heart right in the middle of conflict, in the middle of dis- difficulty and disagreement? Well, the book of Job, and I don't have time to get into it, but chapter 5 and chapter 18 mention three different things that you have to guard your heart against when you're in conflict with somebody. Number one is resentment. I choose not to resent that person. Do I feel right? Yes. Do they feel right? Yes. But I choose to guard my heart against resentment. Number two, jealousy. I choose to not allow jealousy to rule my life, to be jealous or to be envious of something. Number three, the most important one, I choose not to be angry. I choose. If I'm in conflict, I can choose not to be angry and, or let anger have power over my life. 
I don't want to carry resentment around. I want to let those things go. The anger, really, does your anger hurt the other person? Nope. <laughs> really? What, who's the anger hurt? You? Anger is like drinking poison and affecting it to affect the other person. It, it, it doesn't hurt anybody but you. Your resentment doesn't hurt anybody but you. If you want your passion to be restored, you have to forgive. You have to let things go. You have to walk in uh, just freedom. Number five, if you want to maintain your passion, you have to be around passionate people. Passionless companions will cause you to lose your passion for God. They will. If you, don't, if you aren't around people that have some passion for God, redo your friends list, right? Unfriend them. I don't know, whatever. Um, you're not spending time around the right people. I'm not saying you have to be around Christians all the time, but you need to be around some people that have some passion. They can sow it into your life. They can get you excited about your life. Listen, I, there's, some, there's, some, some, there's some men sitting here on the front row that I get an opportunity to be around, then man, every time I'm around them, I know that I'm going to get a, a dose of some passion, right? I'm going to get somebody that's talking about God passionately, that's, that's saying, hey, look what, look what God's done. Look where God's lead. Look what God's doing. Gets you fired up, man. All of a sudden, you recognize the reality of our relationship with God and what He wants to do in our lives. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10, reminds us two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble, right? If you're, if you're trying to be out... Um, yeah, okay. Um, sorry. I had a close, close, close friend of mine, a brother to me, um, move away to another state, he and his wife, they actually got born again in this church. I prayed for them for months and months and months and months. Got, watched them walk the aisle. Got born again. <laughs> lovely, lovely people. And um, uh, uh, watched his wife, sweet, sweet lady, um, have a, uh, they moved away and they kind of weren't connected to anybody in their lives that could really stand with them. And she tried to help a neighbor who was involved in a nasty divorce and kids and the just a, 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 a mess. It was just a mess. And uh, she didn't have the strength to be able to stand, and they were new Christians, and um, it ended up causing her to um, walk away from her marriage to, to her husband and destroyed their family. Why? Because nobody was there to say, hey, stop it. Hey, uh, let me point you back toward God. Hey, let me pray with you. Hey, let me encourage you, strengthen you, help you. I see it all the time as a pastor. I see people that go about their lives hurting and struggling and having difficulties. And what is one of the first things that the devil convinces people like that to do? Now go to church. Be away from the people that love you, pray for you, help you, encourage you, strengthen you can show you God's heart, can cry with you, can weep with you, can hug you, can bless you. Why? Why? Why do we stay away from the, 
the place where there's help. We, 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 God wants us to be together as a family, connected to one another, passionate about the things He's called us to do, passionate about being there for one another. Man, I don't have... Uh, okay, I'm running out of time. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. What are we supposed to do? Love each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, cry with each other, laugh with each other, be there for each other. Number six. A passion stealer is this, an unclear purpose in life. When you forget the purpose of your life, it's a sure way to kill your passion. If you don't know the purpose for your life, then why bother getting up? Why not just stay in bed all day, right? Life without purpose is an activity without direction. We get distracted by different things, budgets and bills and baseball and and, and everything else, the, the, the thousand other things that are out there, and we forget the reasons why God put us here on the earth. We drift toward apathy. We drift toward lethargy. We get the, well, who cares attitude? Be better off, I guess, if I didn't go. Why get out of bed if there's no meaning, if there's no purpose? Maybe you felt like Isaiah, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 49 says, now this is a prophet of God. He says, I've labored to no purpose and I've, uh, and I've given my strength in vain and for nothing. You ever feel like that? I hope you haven't. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man in the world who got off track, said, that's it. Everything's vanity. Nothing means anything. He lost his purpose. He lost his direction. He lost his passion. Passion and purpose go together. When you have a clear purpose, it's going to mean that you have an opportunity for a lot of passion. I think that's the thing that I love about people that, that know their purpose in life. They're passionate about, and you know what? They'll talk your ear off about, the, about their passion and the purpose in their lives. The more we understand God's purpose for our lives, the more of God's purposes we can be passionate about. The more of His, His work we can be passionate about. Let me give you a couple of quotes. Here's the first one. Unknown. Okay, so uh, attributed unknown. Purpose is the reason you journey. Passion is the fire that lights the way. Here's another one. Without passion, you don't have energy. Without energy, you have nothing. Somebody might know. President Donald J. Trump said that. I had to throw a Donald Trump quote in there. You knew I did. Um, he said, without passion, you don't have energy. Without energy, you don't have anything. You have nothing. Let God show you the purpose for your life. And you can be passionate about the things he's called you to do. And finally, number seven, a weak spirit. A weak spirit. Every day we face all different kinds of circumstances that conspire to shrink away the strength that God wants in our hearts. 
God, the, 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 the world, the devil wants to shrink away your, your heart, your strength toward, toward the things of God. Listen, you're going to have disappointments and distractions. Jesus even said, in this world you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In this world you'll have some difficulties. You're going to have conflicts and you're going to have changes and you're going to have challenges. You're going to have problems and you're going to have pressures. You're going to have frustrations and fears and failures and you're going to have fatigue. All of these things fall in on us and try and shrivel our heart and shrink our spirit. We must intentionally nourish our spirit. We must intentionally fight back. We must intentionally go to God and connect with God and receive from God all that we need to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to live like that. Amen. I'm going to fight. I'm going to conquer. You know, the, the, the Word of God tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Amen. Right? It also tells us that we are overcomers because of what he did for us on the cross. So we're to not be overcome by sin. We're to not be overcome by the things of the world. But we're to do the overcoming because we are children of God. Amen. That's We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We love not our lives to the death. If you don't know how to do, how to strengthen your spirit, get with somebody. Find somebody that does. Here's the things that do that for us. Private time of worship and, and communion spent with God every day. Reading God's Word and growing in it to become more like Christ. Fellowshipping with other believers. Engaging in a ministry where you can use your talents to help other people. Um, finding somebody who wants to take you on a mission somewhere, doing something in the world that makes a difference, connecting with the heart of God. The heart of God is for people. We need to connect with the heart of God and learn to love people. How do you plug into God? How do you live this life? How do you keep a daily relationship with Him? Well, the starting point is to remember how God feels about you, right? You want to know how you're supposed to feel about God? Then find out how God feels about you. Let me help you with that. Exodus 34, 14 says, You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous. Now, this isn't evil jealousy. This isn't wrong jealousy. This is a passionate desire for us. Whose very name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You want to know how God feels about you? Oh, He wants you. He needs you. He's got to have you. God is passionate about you. He's passionate about me. Jesus was so passionate about His disciples and those who followed Him that He wasn't ready to leave after His resurrection. Next verse. Acts 1-3 says, After His death, right? His death, His burial, His resurrection... He presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus was passionate about his people, about, his, about those that loved him. Listen, 
if Jesus will come back from the dead to spend time with the people he loves, he will spend time with you. He will spend time with you. We have to choose to give him that opportunity. We have to choose to love God. We have to choose to spend time with Him. And I will tell you this, if you'll spend time with God, if you'll choose to give God an opportunity in your life, you will find that He will light you up and give you passion to live your life in a way that maybe you have wanted all your life and never known how to get. We need to be passionate about God and the things of God. Can we pray this morning? Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have. God, to love you and to be loved by you. Father, we thank you that there's nothing that separates us from your love. Romans tells us, Father, that we can't go anywhere where you're not there. We can't be anywhere, do anything that you still won't love us, God. Your love is complete. Your love is perfect. Your love is all-encompassing for us. And Father, we honor you today and we thank you for that love. We thank you that you're passionate about us and we can be passionate about you and passionate about these lives that you've given us. Father, we thank you that life was not our right. It was your gift to give us. And so, Father, as a gift given, we choose to live it passionately. We choose to live it well. We choose to pursue all that you've called us to do and be. And, Father, we just thank you that right now our lives are in your hands, Father. Lead us, direct us, and give us opportunity to be poured out like an offering, Father, so that we can be refilled by your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just another moment, I want to just ask this question. The most important decision that you can make in your life is to choose to receive the relationship, choose to receive the love that God has provided on the cross through His Son, Jesus. So today, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to God? Have you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I recognize the sacrifice that you made on my behalf. Maybe at one time you did say yes to Jesus and you feel like, man, I've walked away from that. Well, I'm talking to you this morning as well. If you fall into either one of those categories, either you've never had a relationship with Jesus or you today want to say yes to God again and recommit your heart, your passion, to God, I'm going to ask you to do something very courageous. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, give us the opportunity to help you today, to pray with you. Is there anyone here? One, two, three, anybody at all? Lift your hand, wave it at me, be bold and courageous. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Anyone at all say, I need Jesus to be restored, renewed. I need my relationship with God to be put in right order. Anybody? Anyone at all? All right, church, pray this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for your passion for my life. I thank you for your passion in dying on the cross, forgiving my sin, redeeming my life. And now today, God, I choose to give you my heart, to give you all of me. I will live passionately 
in your presence. I will pursue all that you are. I will engage a relationship with you. I won't let anything stand in the way of me being passionate for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.